1: Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What
2: follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. What a week.
3: Yeah, it's been uh, an interesting adventure. We, as we posted on social media a week or so ago, we are moving to a new network and sometimes migrating nearly 600 shows from from one hosting platform to another, gets a little complicated.
2: Yeah, and there have been a few hinky things going down, but we are working with uh, IT to try to get that resolved as quickly as possible.
3: Hopefully by the time you're hearing this, it will be resolved. But one of the issues was uh, both networks were playing commercials.
2: Yeah, which was not the goal.
3: Yeah, and by the way, we're not getting paid by either network for those commercials. So somebody, somebody made a comment on uh, social media that the reason that was happening was because we were greedy.
2: It's just funny because it's the opposite of what's actually happening. We are currently making no money. <laughs>
3: yeah, no money. Yeah, absolutely zero money. Uh, October will probably make zero yeah and 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 that's not convenient no <laughs> no
2: so um just know that we we are trying to fix it we're working as as much as we can you know on our end right. and there's Honestly, there's some parts of it that we just can't
3: do. So, Well, most of, of this we, right. we can't do except send emails and say, hey, fix this. Mm-hmm. And they are. They're working diligently. Our new network is being great about yeah. it and, and trying to get things uh, taken care of. Um, another issue uh, is that on a couple of the platforms, the new shows haven't populated yet. Uh, somebody said that on Castbox, it looked like we weren't loading any new episodes, mm-hmm. but when they searched for Box of Oddities and clicked on it, all of the episodes were there. Right. So that's it's a little confusing. I think. Google Podcasts, there's some issues there, but but we're working on it. We'll get it taken care of. And Thanks we,
2: for hanging with us, guys. Yeah, yeah
3: we appreciate the we patience. We really do. I, I know it's annoying. We, we
2: think it's annoying.
3: Yeah, I, I'm losing sleep over it. I'll be honest I know. with you.
2: You've been really, really obnoxious lately. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it is Halloween month, and uh, last week I did a story uh, about werewolves, mm-hmm. which... I thought was appropriate for Halloween. Today, vampire burial techniques. (laughs) In ancient burial grounds and beneath layers of earth and time lie secrets that still haunt us in the modern world today. We've always been fascinated by tales of the undead, creatures of the night that refuse to rest. I love a good zombie story. I also love... A good vampire story.
2: Yeah. If I heard correctly, because I slept in the guest room last night, you were watching vampire stories until the wee hours of the morning.
3: <laughs> that that could have something to do with why I'm not sleeping well either. Maybe. Maybe it's not just the network migration. <laughs> um, but what if these tales were more than just legends? Recent archeological excavations have unveiled Dark burials, very macabre, revealing that our ancestors went to chilling lengths to ensure that the dead stayed dead. This is the eerie world of vampire burials. It's where folklore meets modern forensics. I love being able to look at it through the eyes of modern uh, technology. Throughout history and across various cultures, vampire legends and beliefs and creatures akin to vampires have existed. Fears of the dead returning to harm us. Uh, it's, it's a universal thing. Sure. And it led to unique burial practices to prevent the deceased from rising again. Here's a, just a quick rundown. A lot of them we are very familiar with. Like, uh, well, probably the most familiar and famous method method is driving a, a wooden stake through the heart of the... Uh, of the alleged vampire mm-hmm. and, and it didn't have to be wood it could be iron or some other material as well a
2: while back we talked about the venetian vampire and that was one that in that particular region the brick in the mouth yes was their method of that, making sure it didn't return
3: that's that's exactly right in some burials uh like in bulgaria and italy Uh, Skeletons have been found with bricks or stones placed in their mouths. And this was believed to prevent the dead from chewing through the shrouds and feeding on the living. Mm. I mean, if you can get out of your grave. You thinking that they could spit out a rock? They could spit the rock out. (laughs) Decapitation, of course.
2: That'll do it.
3: Yep. Uh, in various cultures, the heads of suspected vampires were severed and placed between their legs or beside their bodies, and it was done to prevent the undead from seeing, and hence returning to the world of the living.
2: It It's the seeing part yeah, right. that they thought was yeah. not the being separate from the head?
3: Mm, no. It,
2: no. That's, that's fine.
3: A blindfold is a lot less bloody than a decapitation. <laughs> Sometimes bodies were buried with iron knives or other sharp objects placed on or around them. The belief was that these objects would ward off or destroy a rising vampire.
2: I feel like that would just give them weapons.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Back in the 16th century, they didn't think things through sometimes.
2: (laughs) Nighty-night vampire, here's a sword.
3: In some regions, bodies believed to be potential vampires were buried face down. This was to ensure that, it, that if they tried to dig their way out, they would just dig their way further into the dirt.
2: Now that's solid reasoning right there.
3: Some bodies were found with their hands and feet bound. Obvious reasons there. Mm-hmm. The use of religious symbols like crucifixes, holy water, uh, garlic of course i don't know if that's considered a uh, a religious symbol but those items are believed to repel or harm vampires
2: i still i have never heard good reasoning for why vampires supposedly don't like garlic do you know why
3: i don't know why but i know when i get too much of it it repels me
2: i don't i don't know what you're saying
3: because you believe there's no such thing as too too much garlic Okay. (laughs) All right. If a body was suspected of being a vampire after burial, uh, oftentimes it would be exhumed and reburied in a different orientation or with some of the other aforementioned uh, methods. Okay. In some cases, to prevent a vampire from, from rising from the grave, the grave itself would be desecrated. They would place heavy stones on it or big slabs of rock and anything they could find that uh, they thought would keep the vampire in its grave. And they would also isolate them. Suspected vampire corpses might be buried, quite often in fact, outside of regular cemeteries or in isolated areas, keeping them away from other people, Mm. both living and dead. Okay. Sometimes when they, they did exhume the bodies they would see that uh, the body inside had moved or showed signs of disturbance. And that obviously was is part of the natural process of decay. But they thought that was evidence that, that the vampire had gotten up and come back and got back into their grave. Mm-hmm. And, and as we've mentioned before some tuberculosis victims were mistaken for vampires mostly in the 18th and 19th century uh, in europe and america especially in the new england area where there was what was called the new england vampire panic and there's several reasons for this in the pre-modern era the cause and spread of tuberculosis was not well understood people were unable to explain why when one family member fell ill from the disease Other members of the household would also fall ill, so they were thinking that this person had become a vampire and was sucking the life force out of people nearby. Tuberculosis, especially in its advanced stages, can produce symptoms that might seem vampire-like. Things like pale skin, wasting away of the body, uh, bloody sputum from the severe coughing, Uh, The sunken eyes and the thin appearance of those with advanced tuberculosis could easily fit the profile of a vampire. Sure. Or what we think of as the stereotypical vampire. Mm -hmm. In an effort to prevent further deaths in a family affected by tuberculosis, communities would sometimes exhume the bodies of those who had previously died if the body was found to be unusually well-preserved or had liquid blood. In its mouth, which is a natural occurrence as fluids can be forced through the mouth during decomp, it would be deemed a vampire. Mm. Now, recently, an archaeological dig in Poland has found an entire vampire graveyard.
2: Oh, so they didn't just keep them away from the regular old buried folk. They made a whole new graveyard.
3: In, in Poland, yeah, that's what appears to have happened. Graves have been unearthed that point toward ancient practices aimed at preventing the dead from returning now like we were talking about different parts of the world have different variations of the vampire legend in polish folklore the vampire is not always a suave cloak wearing guy like dracula in slavic folklore it often represents A restless soul, a person who has died under unusual circumstances, or someone who led a wicked life, and these undead beings were believed to pose a threat to the living by spreading disease or causing other harm. Mm.
2: Well, Nosferatu, as we know, means disease
3: carrier. Perfect example. Now, what makes the recently unearthed graves in Poland stand out? Are the various preventive methods employed to stop the vampires from rising? Some skeletons were found with iron objects, such as sickles placed around their necks or hips. And Mm -hmm. of course, as we mentioned, iron uh, was believed to have protective properties. A sickle around the neck would also behead the vampire should it try to rise, setting a little vampire sickle trap. Right. Don't sit up, Dracula.
2: Take that, wet bandit.
3: Some of the bodies they have unearthed had rocks placed under and in their jaws, likely to prevent them from biting. Uh, Wooden stakes through the body, that's a common find in this particular graveyard, especially the heart or the legs. I'd always heard heart, but I'd never heard leg. Maybe they thought it would pin them down or something.
2: Now, is this burial site near a church?
3: No, it is outside of a community. It's not, uh, it's not near any populated or well-traveled area, at least at the time they were using it for a vampire graveyard.
2: Wouldn't that make it a cemetery and not a graveyard then? Or am I, it, do I have my terminology backwards?
3: No, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I, I, I chose graveyard because it just sounded creepier.
2: No, you're, you're yeah. not wrong.
3: A few skeletons were buried face down which is another indication that they believed that this this person had been a vampire. Mm. While the discovery of these vampire graves have has excited paranormal enthusiasts, and scientists and historians are quick to demystify The phenomenon the methods used in these burials often align with a lack of understanding of post-mortem processes for example bodies bloat and sometimes shift after death due to gases which might have been interpreted as signs of vampirism by those in the past furthermore the spread of disease like plague which wasn't understood in those days could have led to these protective burials outside of the city out of fear. So what, what they're saying is that perhaps at times they were exhuming a body for one reason or another, mm-hmm. and they noticed that it seemed to have moved, uh, not understanding the, the decomp process, assumed it was a vampire. And so they would relocate it right to the vampire cemetery or graveyard. I prefer that word. Sure, that's fine. These graves show the powerful grip that superstition had on past societies, and they provided insight into how our ancestors dealt with the unknown, especially the mysteries of death and disease. In today's world, increasingly dominated by science, these discoveries are a fascinating bridge to a time when fear played a significant role in daily life. For Poland... These graves are not just archaeological findings, but they're a window into the mind of people who are long dead themselves. Mm. It's fascinating. My source information, Smithsonian and Atlas Obscura.
2: Very interesting.
3: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. that thing in the middle.
2: Today's thing in the middle, one of our favorite things to examine, the origins of commonly used phrases.
3: Number five, chew the fat. I've always wondered about that phrase. Originally, it was a sailor's term. This phrase refers to the days before refrigeration when ships carried food that wouldn't spoil. One of them was salted pork skin, Mm. and that was considered mostly fat. Sailors would only eat it if all the other food was gone, and they would often complain. As they did, the idle chatter became known as chewing the fat.
2: Number four, steal someone's thunder. In the early 1700s, English dramatist John Dennis invented a device that imitated the sound of thunder for a play that he was working on. The play flopped. Soon after, Dennis noted that another play in the same theater was using his sound effect device. (laughs) He angrily exclaimed, that is my thunder, by god. The villains will play my thunder, but not my play. The story got around London, and the idiom was born.
3: Number three, white elephant. Legend has it, kings of Siam, now Thailand, used to give actual white elephants to people that they wanted to punish. Oh. Yeah. That's
2: not a punishment. They're so nice and sweet and smart.
3: And they're valuable and respected. But it also meant they were very expensive to take care of. So the kings hoped the present would drive the recipient into financial ruin.
2: It's like I've always said, I don't want horses. I'd like my neighbors to have horses.
3: (laughs) So you could just ride them and then leave. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Number two, close but no cigar. Carnival games nowadays give out stuffed animals as prizes, but in the late 19th century, the games were targeted to adults, not kids. So instead of getting a giant teddy bear, winners might get a cigar. If you almost won, but didn't earn the prize, you'd be close, but no cigar.
3: And number one, the term by and large. Sailors were the first to refer to things by and large. The first part of the phrase refers to the nautical term full and by, meaning a boat was traveling into the wind. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, large means the wind is coming from behind. By and large, then, would mean the wind is coming from any direction, giving rise to the current meaning of in general. Aha. Uh-huh. Hey, Michelle sends us an email. Good morning, my favorite freaks. I was just listening to a recent episode with Kat talking about finding the mugs for JG and the server telling her to just take them. (laughs) I had to stop everything and share about my grandmother. She was the queen of taking things from restaurants. Salt and pepper shakers, silverware, cups. She would leave almost every restaurant with a little something in her purse.
2: Grandma was a kleptomaniac. (laughs)
3: There, There was one restaurant where you raised a flag when you needed the server's attention. Yep, she took one of those, too.
2: (laughs) There's no need for that, Nana.
3: I may have inherited her penchant for liberating things from restaurants because I have a mule cup from a Christmas party at a local restaurant. Keep doing what you do. I look forward to hearing you guys every week.
2: I usually will save messages by way of screenshots, so that way it's easy for me to access and I don't have to go from platform to platform to platform. Um, And I was gonna share this one, but it's a recipe for a Greek salad that I screenshotted.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I've got all kinds of weird photos on my my phone. The other day I wanted to try to find a belt that matched a shoe, a pair of shoes that I had. So I took a picture (laughs) of one of my shoes And uh, later I'm going through my photos and thought, yeah, I'm just going to send that to Kat.
2: Now I just keep getting pictures of his shoes. It's weird. Sam sent a message, holy forking shirt balls, Boom moment alert. My husband is reading a biography of Teddy Roosevelt and in it he's described as a New York dude. So this got me Googling, thinking of a recent episode where you talked about new-sounding phrases that aren't new, of course. It turns out Dude was short for Yankee Doodle Dandy in the 1880s, a rich guy with store-bought clothes who's overly concerned with his appearance, hence the term Dude Ranch, which were basically resorts in the western U.S. for East Coasters to come and experience the quote-unquote cowboy lifestyle and feel like men. Also, I'm pretty sure that's why football was invented in Ivy League schools, but that might be a subject for another day. (laughs) I love you. Hope you're having a good day.
3: That's fantastic.
2: Thanks, Sam.
1: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.
0: The curator was at a party a few weeks back where he learned that a woman in the neighborhood subscribes to this podcast, but had no recollection of hearing the curator. Weird about her house fire that night, don't you think? This is The Box of Oddities.
2: Reverend Alfred E. Smith, editor-in-chief of the Catholic Review, called this the truest ghost story ever told. As described in the Mystery of the Wizard clip, a published account from 1949, Adam Livingston migrated from Pennsylvania, where he had previously owned a significant amount of land. Curiously, his Pennsylvania property was plagued by a series of unfortunate events, including the loss of several cattle and the destruction of his barn in a devastating fire. The exact reasons behind these calamities remain unknown. Now, of course, this story has been recounted by many over the years, and that comes with some discrepancies, so I will do my very best. If you knew Adam and he told you this story differently, I'm terribly sorry. In 1790, Adam Livingston relocated from Pennsylvania to West Virginia. He purchased 70 acres of land near Opequin Creek. He led a tranquil and fairly uncomplicated life in his new surroundings. Now, around 1794, the story goes, a traveler, some say a tailor, arrived at the farm during a storm. It was storming something terrible, and the traveler requested lodging for the night. Out of hospitality, Livingston offered a place to stay, but the stranger's health inexplicably deteriorated over the following days. Eventually, the stranger became so ill, he implored Livingston to summon a Catholic priest to administer at the last
3: rites. Is this one of those innkeeper who poisons their clients story?
2: It is not. Okay. have had a few of those though. I love them. Okay. Don't sound so excited. People died.
3: Yeah, but it was a long time ago.
2: Now, this region had few Catholics and priests were scarce. Moreover, as a Lutheran, Livingston held a profound aversion toward the Catholic faith and its practices. It was said that Livingston's father was forced out of Germany due to religious persecution by Catholics, and he vehemently declared, no Catholic priest will ever set foot inside this house.
3: He said that to the dying guy?
2: I don't know if he said it to the dying guy or if he just said it.
3: muttered it under his breath.
2: Right. Flargen, second flargen, (laughs) sure Sadly, the sick stranger passed away without receiving his last rites or absolution, and Livingston held steadfast to his convictions. He then sought advice from his neighbor, Jacob Foster, about what to do with this body. Foster agreed to hang out with Livingston for the night while they waited to bury the body in the morning. However, when Foster entered With a candle, the room that the body had been laid out in, the flame went out twice in quick succession. So he went out into the kitchen. He got another candle, lit it, went inside. And again, the flame went out. Livingston said, you know, this, obviously the shopkeeper sold me faulty candles, which I didn't know ...was a thing, Mm. but uh, that's the word on the Livingston Street. But this situation frightened Foster. He did not like the idea that there, for no reason these candles were all going out as soon as he entered the room with this dead body. This caused him to abandon his post and rush home, leaving Livingston with the body. Now, despite these unsettling events, Livingston was a pretty calm dude and was like, "...all right, nothing weird's going on here. It's just breezy or something." So, later in the evening, he's laying in bed next to his sleeping wife, and he pondered the candle mystery, seeking a logical explanation.
3: Is the dead body still in the other room? Yes. Just snuggled up with his wife, with a corpse nearby.
2: Well, I mean, you can't, sometimes you don't have any
3: options. I'd move him out to the barn or something, or at least some sort of storage shed.
2: He's just going to let him hang out in the next room for a bit. All right. All right, while Livingston is laying in bed, he hears galloping horses passing by his window. And then again, and then again, it sounds as though these rhythmic hoofbeats are circling the farmhouse. So Livingston scoots up and gets outside to find out what's going on, and there is no one outside and it's quiet. As soon as he crossed the threshold of his front door, the sounds were gone. He scoped around the house to see if there were fresh hoof prints, and there were none. The next day, the stranger's body was buried. But by the end of the week, the family started to experience phenomena much more upsetting than flickering candles and horse clop-clopping. Livingston's troubles continued as his cattle fell victim to puzzling ailments. Hmm. His carefully cultivated crops began to wither. Each morning, he would visit his hen house for eggs, only to discover lifeless birds. Chickens, ducks, geese, some of them with their heads completely severed. Ooh. Initially, he suspected a mischievous prankster, which is a weird thing to suspect at first, because who pranks someone by killing their birds? That's weird.
3: That's not a prankster. That's a serial killer in the making.
2: But reports indicated that Livingston's wife said she saw the head of a duck seemingly detach as if cut by an invisible force. The peculiar instances escalated further. Dishes and pottery started to fly off of shelves, shattering upon impact on the floor. On one occasion, while Livingston and his wife sat by the fireplace, a blazing log propelled itself outward without any apparent cause. And strange clipping sounds began to fill the air. Clipping? Clipping sounds, the sounds of scissors. Oh my God. The Livingstons began to find their clothes inexplicably sliced to pieces. Boots, shirts, and saddles even suffered the same fate, often bearing crescent-shaped cuts.
3: Are there ghost scissors?
2: I guess so. The sound of the phantom scissors clipping persisted day after day, hour after hour, and often the same half-moon-shaped hole was found. Holes were even found cut into the blanket that Livingston and his wife had been sleeping under at night.
3: So they woke up in the morning?
2: And there were crescent-shaped holes cut in their blanket. Wow. An often-repeated tale tells of a visitor who safeguarded her new silk cap by wrapping it in a kerchief while inside the Livingston house, only to discover upon her departure that the cap had been cut to shreds, while the handkerchief and the pocket that it had remained in was still unscathed. This incident gave rise to the name Wizard's Clip for the property, with the crescent moon symbolizing an occult connection. Adam Livingston sought the assistance of Protestant ministers, but none could afford a solution. Eventually, he had a dream instructing him to seek out the McSherry family, who were devout Catholics. The McSherries informed Livingston about a frontier missionary named Father Dennis Cahill, and he would be nearby in a town called Shepherdston conducting mass. Reluctantly, Livingston invited Cahill, this Catholic priest, to his home. As as we said before, he was not fond of this idea, but, I mean, he was running out of clothes. (laughs) Cahill came to the home, prayed and used holy water, And this temporarily halted the hauntings. Reverend Dimitri Gallitzen also visited the Livingston residence in 1797 to investigate the disturbances. After witnessing the events for three months, Gallitzen became convinced of their authenticity. Gallitzen and Cahill returned to Livingston home, performing an exorcism that caused the house to shake as if numerous wagons were rumbling by. Finally, after this joint exorcism, and after Cahill celebrated mass in the house, the haunting ceased. Not long after, though, the Livingstons experienced a different kind of haunting that they called The Voice. Now, this is where Blake Shelton and Christina Aguilera came to their home and judged <laughs> singing competitions. I'm just kidding. That's obviously not what happened. Anyway, Livingston invited Cahill back to the home to deal with this mysterious voice, which there are two stories connected to. Either neighbors said that the voice was very rude And suggested that anyone who didn't go to mass and pray and convert to Catholicism was doomed to hell. Or they say that the voice was very sweet and gentle and encouraged the family to convert to Catholicism. Hmm. Subsequently, the Livingstons converted to Catholicism.
3: Yeah, I would have probably right after the log flew out of the uh, fireplace, seriously considered that.
2: In February of 1802, Livingston deeded a portion of his land to the Catholic Church, now known as the priest's field. The land was granted in perpetuity with the condition that a member of the clergy must always be present and any profits be used for church construction or repairs. Today, the land, still known as Priest Field Pastoral Center, is serving as a peaceful retreat for various groups, like the Boy Scouts and AA meetings. In Middleway, a triangular marker bears a crescent moon and shears as a tribute to the legend
3: of Adam Livingston. That is an incredible story.
2: Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's obviously Catholic propaganda, but it's fun. <clears throat> I got my information from Wizard's Clip, An Extraordinary Truth or a Convenient Lie by Donna Joy, Atlas Obscura, Journal of the Bazaar, and org.
3: That is a classic ghost story. And speaking of ghost stories, it won't be long our Halloween special will air. It's going to be a two-parter.
2: Yes, if you want to squeeze your story in we are still for a couple more days accepting submissions just record your story in your own words on your smartphone and send it to us it's that easy
3: curator at the box thanks for hanging out with us we'll see you next time and hopefully by then all of these technical issues will be solved
2: until then keep flying that freak flag
3: and fly it proudly you beautiful freak
0: And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.
1: history but hate when it's stuffy and boring
0: well look no further
1: and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts